Welcome to the Events Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and each week I talk with event professionals about how they plan, promote, and run their events. We help you build your events empire by growing your business around live events. Whether you're running small meetups or conferences, trade shows, and concerts, we focus on finding actionable tips that you can use straight away. This podcast is sponsored by EventsFrame. Check it out over at eventsframe.com. Make the switch from Eventbrite today to our amazing ticketing and registration system with no ticket fees. It integrates with all the major payment gateways such as Stripe, PayPal, and Braintree. And we also have the best email integrations out there, including MailChimp, Zapier, Infusionsoft, Aweber, Drip, and many, many more. You can use our versatile website builder or embed tickets directly in your own site. We've got thousands of live events on EventsFrame, ranging from small community meetups to large trade shows and conferences. EventsFrame is especially good for anyone wanting to run multiple events, as you can host an an unlimited number of events on your EventsFrame account. Most ticketing systems charge you a minimum of 3% of the ticket price, but we just have a flat low fee with no ticket fees and no restrictions. There's genuinely no system out there that is cheaper than EventsFrame. So head on over to eventsframe.com for a free one-month trial. And we also have a special offer just for podcast listeners. Email me at dan at eventsframe.com, D-A-N at eventsframe.com with the subject line podcast, and I'll send you a special discount code. So that's all. Let's get on to the interview. Hi, welcome to the events podcast. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be talking to Justin Cook, who I've uh, known on and off uh, for quite a few years. He's the co-founder, co-owner, and chief marketing officer of Empire Flippers. They're a business broker. You've probably seen him around the internet. So uh, a huge uh, welcome. Thanks for having me on, Dan. I appreciate it. Cool. You know, I was just taking a look back down memory lane, and I was actually on your podcast in 2004. And I was 14. just looking at it. Yeah, 2014. Yeah. 2004. 2004. Yeah, yeah. 2014. That was a long time. That was early days. Yeah. It was. You were in you were in the Philippines somewhere when we recorded. I think Davao, and you, we had all sorts of internet problems. I was in my old flat in Prague, which had sketchy internet as well. And I remember we had to like keep. You, you must have had to piece together like six different pieces of audio to to get that working. Oh my God. Well, you know, being someone who travels around all the time, that problem has not gone away. I can tell you. You know, if I'm in Bali trying to get a recording done, it can you know be struggling. And sometimes in the Philippines, still there's issues for sure. Well, I'm, I'm here in Prague at the moment. It's start of February, a lot of snow on the ground. Where, where are you in the world right now? I'm in Ho Chi Minh, Vietnam, also known as Saigon. It's actually, uh, it's like New Year's Eve, like Vietnamese New Year. So it's Tet tomorrow, which is like a really big, everyone takes the week off kind of vacation. So uh, it's, it's pretty dead city right now, actually. Wow. So just, I mean, what would be really great to, to start off with is just a bit about the background of, of Empire Flippers, because some people might know, but it's it's kind of interesting how you started down in Davao, and uh, you did, I know you did some outsourcing. So is it possible just to quickly have a quick chat about um, your company, what you do, and how you got started? Yeah, here's the, the quick background. So my business partner and I uh, both worked, we were mid-level managers of a company in the U.S. It was an SEO company. And, you know, they kept growing and growing. We eventually hired a team in the Philippines to start doing some back office work. And that team grew and grew. And over time, you know, we had the bright idea to, you know, why don't we go out to the Philippines and run this company uh, as contractors for our previous employer? So we basically quit our jobs and became contractors for our previous employer out in the Philippines. Yeah. Now, you know, in the process of doing that, you know, we tried other things. And 
one of the things we tried, you know, we were trying out was building small niche sites. And these are very focused sites around particular topics like blue suede shoes.net kind of thing. And we would use something called Google AdSense. Google AdSense is a, a little bit of code you put on your website and pr provides ads that are around the content or around, you know, the user's interest. And when people click on those ads, you get paid. So we started building out these sites and we had a team in the Philippines started building out these sites. And we realized we were building these, you know, these assets, these profitable assets. And, you know, if it made hundred bucks a month, there are people that were willing to buy these small websites making hundred bucks a month for like 2000, 2500 bucks. So we ended up building a bunch of these sites and looking for people to buy them. And so people started buying these little mini assets we were creating. Over time, we continued to do that, built up an audience of people looking to buy websites and online businesses. And we started doing larger and larger sites. We you got into five-figure sites and six figures and eventually seven figures. And we started allowing other people to sell on our platform. And so we, you know, ultimately everything else got tossed and we really focused on effectively a marketplace or a brokerage for online businesses. So, you know, start off with these small AdSense based sites, small, you know, uh, niche affiliate sites. And now we do everything from like Kindle ebook uh, businesses to, you know, Amazon merch or FBA businesses. If it's an online business, we can list and sell on our platform. Cool. And just, and so you started, um, I think the backstory was you were in Davao. That's where you were, that's where you went to hire you know the team for your your previous employer, I guess. Which now I'm curious because yeah. I've I've got to Philippines a lot. I've got a team in Cebu, as you know, but I've never been to Davao. And, and you were there, I guess, at a time when it was it's it's Mindanao, isn't it? The the island. Yeah. And it was pretty sketchy. They had the guy, you know, the Terminator guy at the time, and there was, there was yeah, the yeah so. Islamic insurgency. Like, what was it like in those days? Was it pretty wild west? Yeah. So this is uh, we started hiring people in the Philippines back in 2000. Well. It goes back further than that. Further than the company that, that Joe and I had worked for, previously we'd had a mortgage uh, business in the U.S. And that was our first hiring someone in the Philippines. And this is back in like 2004 or so. And, you know, we put out a bunch of ads. We, we realized we needed or we wanted, and it wasn't even a uh, well-coined uh, term at that time, but we needed a virtual assistant or yep. someone on the cheap that could do some online work for us. And so, you know, there wasn't Odesk or Upwork or anything like that back then. That just, that wasn't around. Yeah. And so we put out a bunch of ads on Craigslist. And we had people in India and Thailand and the Philippines apply. And ultimately, the person we ended up hiring happened to be from the Philippines. And she happened to live in Davao City. Right. And so that's kind of our first connection to Davao was hiring her back in 2004. Now, our mortgage business ended up dying out. You know, we had to ultimately let her go, you know, a couple of years later. But, you know, that situation stuck. Like the fact that we get someone from the Philippines to do good work for us for a totally reasonable price point was phenomenal. And so, you know, when we're working for this SEO company as mid-level managers and we're hiring a bunch of in-house people, I mean, some of the work we realized could be done online. It could be done in the Philippines. And so we started hiring people for much cheaper than we were able to, you know, pay them in the U.S. And that's kind of how we got back. And, you know, the reason we went back to the Philippines is we had that connection in yeah. Davao. It was just providence and, and kind of luck that, that you know, led us to Davao. It wasn't anything in particular. Um, in terms of living there, like I moved that Joe moved there into 2009. I moved there early 2010. And so we moved to Davao City, which is in the south. And if you read anything about Mindanao in the Philippines or Davao City, like there's a lot of sketchy around Davao City. Davao City was relatively safe, yep. uh, particularly at this time frame. But 20 years ago, there were like machine gun nests on the streets. Davao City was, was like a, a not safe place to be. Yeah. And this mayor had come in and just kind of like really with a strong arm on the law – 
had really cleaned up the city and made it a much safer environment. Now, he did that through some sketchy means, which you can read about online, look up like Davao death squads and some other stuff. But he did provide a lot more safety and security for the city and made it a much you know better place to be. Yeah. And, what, you know, I often find like sometimes it's kind of sketchy places. It's not the fun place to live. I and mean, it's almost like best of times, worst of times. You know, you have sometimes it's too much and sometimes it's like, uh, you know, it, it, it's great. Yeah, what's crazy about the Philippines, it's, it's this way today, but a lot of times, particularly in like provinces and like more local areas outside of the major cities, is they have mayors and they'll have governors that run it kind of like gangs. I mean, they're effectively like, you know, yeah, like yeah. mafia bosses to some degree, right? And so, you know, like that you can have a benevolent dictator in your particular area or you can have a tyrant and it kind of just depends on the area and how things go there. So it's really kind of uh, wild west in the, you know, Southeast Asia. It's uh, funny, you know, yeah, so it's, to speak. it's just similar. I had a similar thing, I guess, to you. And, you know, my first person I hired uh, was in the Philippines, in Cebu City, actually. And then second person. And now, you know, we've got a team there. It just kind of happened. And now I go to Cebu every year and it's kind of part of my life, you know, but it's uh it was just all because I hired the first person there through Chris Ducker, actually, you know, and his virtual staff finder. Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, the the Philippines. I mean, I, I'm going to long for a long term have a connection to the Philippines. And we have a team now in Davao. I mean, they're effectively location dependent. They can be anywhere and sometimes they do travel. But, you know, most of them, almost all of them are, are out of Davao City. So I go back there for there. But I also met my wife in Davao City who has family outside of there a few hours towards the more scary place. Yeah. <laughs> so but she has family there. So, yeah, I'll be connected the Philippines and Davao City for a long time. Definitely. Well, look, that's great, you know, sort of brief overview of, of the business. And just looking at your website now, you've got a huge team. I mean, even, I mean, I guess I saw you at DCBKK, which was October, but even since then, you've, you've been growing by the looks of it. Yeah, we've got a little over 50 people on our team. And, you know, they help us service quite a few clients. I mean, we did, we do about 20 something deals a month. So pretty close to 300 deals last year, a little under maybe like 270, 280 deals for a total of around 35, 36 million dollars uh, total. Wow. So obviously this is the events podcast and I've got to, because obviously, you know, you're not an events company, but there's a lot of things you do in terms of running running retreats, sponsoring conferences that I want to chat about. First of all, I, I'm keen to talk about like, you've got a completely remote team of of, uh, you know, a, a, a big team. How do you, I mean, do you, do you formalize now like meetups and people and working together and that kind of thing? Is that something, because I know a lot of people who listen to this run location independent businesses and when it gets bigger, I know a lot of people formalize getting together and working on projects. Yeah, whenever we hire or we have a new round of hiring or hiring someone new, we always bring them out. Like, let's say they're in the U.S. or Australia or U.K. or whatever. We bring them out to where their supervisor and manager is. And we try to time that around team meetups and where there's multiple people in the same city at that time. So the last one was in, in Vietnam. And so we bring people out and we generally expect them to be there for a few months. So they're going to be in the city training with someone for a few months while they kind of get them up to speed. And then after that, they can, you know, just stretch their wings and, and kind of, you know, go where they like and be location independent. And that's a really strong kind of ethos in the company is that you know, everyone has that ability. Now, you know, there's some problems with that where, you know, you don't, you don't have the camaraderie you get from being on a team. There's some delays in terms of communication. And we try to solve that through things like Slack. Like we don't do nearly as much email. We use Slack internally, um, which is really helpful. And, and, 
you know, we're regularly on phone calls. There's, you know, all up and down the, the chain, there's, you know, regular communication and meetings and that kind of thing. But we also twice a year, we get together. So we'll bring the whole team together for a meetup. And, you know, it was less people. Uh, we would get like either a villa or, you know, multiple kind of like penthouse apartments on like the same or the top two floors or whatever. And we just rent that out for a period of time. And so normally that's well, at this point, it's twice a year and it's for two weeks each. Now we're getting a little big even for that. So we're running into problems where it's just too many people even for like a villa or whatever. And so this next time we're trying out a hotel with conference rooms, but I'm I'm hoping it's going to work. I'm skeptical though. I'm worried it's going to be way corporate and just not nearly as fun. But we're trying it out in Mexico City in April. So we're going to be there the second and third week of April. And we're getting a good portion, not everyone, but a good portion of our team down there to have some fun together and do some work together and and you know knock out some projects just thinking i'm mean, just just in the maths in my head i mean just getting 50 people flights and i mean that's going to be a that's going to be a hefty amount of money just just to do that i guess so you, so you obviously well, I, think it's worth it yeah i think it's to be about 30 people some uh, like our philippines team isn't coming it's too far and the visas are really challenging for mexico yeah, yeah. and then we have maybe somewhere between four to eight of the um, everyone else is, that's not going to be coming probably. So we will have about 30 ish, 25 to 30 people there probably. So even then though, I mean, it's still, it's still challenging for sure. So, so you said before you held these meetups and you had a bunch of like villas and apartments close to each other. How, like, how did that work? Did that, was that, did it end up just being kind of a logistical nightmare or did it, was it kind of a fun atmosphere? It wasn't at first. I mean, the first couple of times we did it, you know, with like, let's say four or five of us, I mean, it's a lot easier. We yeah, rent yeah. like one bigger apartment and maybe like one or two that's smaller and we work out of the big one. And, you know, it, it worked pretty well. But as it started growing and we had more people and more dietary requirements and yeah. like we, we would generally like pay for a maid and uh and you know a chef or a cook to come in and cook every day and then we're like oh we have to you know worry about this we have to do that and it became more challenging for sure and this is something that i would work with and someone on our marketing team his name is mike swigunski and he would he would help set up and we've since passed that responsibility over to an hr person marlene that we just hired uh this last year so you know it's now under hr and she's setting up the one in mexico city um but we all kind of pitch in where we have some help so if, you know we're like hey we've rented these villas before or this is a good uh, spot for us to check out then we'd send that to her and she can hook it up i mean i'm, I'm thinking of this this is for myself as well you know because obviously i've got a remote team with apps events and events fame and do you i mean do you think it's like is it like essential would you do you have it in that in that bucket of like essential things to do now is it, is it that important or, or do you think it's like a nice to have in terms of these these meetups um, I think it's essential. Yeah. So I fought, we were talking about whether we're going to do it in Mexico city or we're not going to do it all. Maybe just do you know, one this year. And I fought for it. Cause I know that, um, it's really important for the team. You know, we deal, we're, we're generally dealing with like high pressure things, right? You know, there's yeah. a lot of pressure on both ends of the clients and, you know, they're selling a $300,000 business. That's a lot of money on both ends, both paying and, and receiving. And, you know, it can get stressful. And so, because of the stressful environment, the work environment we have in terms of you know the type of work we're doing, it's really important to get to know the other people on the team and know that they have your back and know that they're that you're working together to solve stuff. And the best way to do that is really in person. Now we have like smaller meetups. You know, uh, teams will get together, like they'll have like a sales kind of meetup. It's it's not mandatory or not required or anything, but you know some of them will get together in certain cities because all of them are you know they travel and 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 can, can kind of go where they want. Um, we'll do that throughout the year. 
but I think it's really important to get the entire team together. So you've got, you know, at this point we have a development team. So we get like the developers who are kind of separate from from kind of some of what we do and still get them interacting with the sales team, for example, and to better understand like who they're working with. I think it's essential. Right. And so do you, do you have like a structure to these meetups? Is it like um, you, have, you have like do you go on team building exercises or do you just more or less get together and work or is it kind of a combination? It's a work in progress. So this last time we'd hired a bunch of people and they arrived basically the same time as the meetup. And that was a bit of a shit show to be blunt. <laughs> like, you know, with trying to get everyone trained and have everyone work together and, and all the projects we want to do, it was uh, just a nightmare. And so we realized, okay, that, that's a bad idea. If we're going to, you know, bring a new round of hiring out, um, make it after the meetup or make it well before. So it's not just, you know, so so much additional stress. Normally what we'll do is we'll have, um, you know, kind of a, an onboarding. And so we have a couple of meetings to onboard everyone and uh, kind of like lay out the agenda and we'll ask for, you know, the directors and supervisors to come up with a plan on things they want to accomplish while they're there. So, you know, um, yeah. And then they, you know, kind of work on accomplishing those goals It also allows us to do some of our regular meetings. We're able to do it in person. And so you'll have, uh, then like kind of the smaller stuff, you'll have some of the groups, like the sales team will take their you know, team out for lunch or for dinner or for drinks or whatever. And same thing for vetting or migrations, all these different you know, mini departments we have in our company. And then we'll have some bigger team meetups. You know, so we'll have like a really big team dinner and we'll have a night out at the club or in Medellin, we went to, um, I forget that lake with the crazy like lookout thing. It's outside of Medellin. We took a, never, you know, a bus out there. Side, side point, I really want to go to Medellin. That's, that's on my list for hopefully this year. <laughs> Well, I got a story for you about that. But anyway, we went to this yeah. lake out there and, and went out like boating and 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 had a really good time uh, with them. But oh, yeah, our last trip to Medellin, um, we were there. Yeah, uh, tell me the story. In the month, <laughs> in the a month that we were there, you know, Greg, our director of marketing, yeah. goes out. You know, there we're all hanging out, and you know, that night I think we were we were out having dinner and drinks, and I'd like looked away briefly, and someone had uh, snatched my wallet. So I was like, oh, what a pain in the ass. I mean, it wasn't violent or whatever, but, you know, that's kind of dodgy. Yeah. But you get that kind of dodgy stuff in any city, any place. So I go home. I'm canceling all my credit cards. I'm like, oh, this sucks, right? Uh, wake up the next morning. I'm like, oh, well, I bet my night was worse than yours. And I was like, well, I lost my wallet. That's pretty bad. Yeah, Greg ended up getting stabbed by a taxi driver. Wow. So stabbed in the shoulder multiple times, uh, like had to have some girls that were driving by. They picked him up in their car and took him to the hospital to get you know, stitched up. No major issues, but I mean, he, he had to get like sewn up and it was bad. And then another one of our guys walking uh, down the street in broad daylight from our, we had a Regis office there, walking from the office to his apartment. And one of the night in El Poblado, one of the nicest places in town, they pull over in a car and jack him for a cell phone. Luckily, he had like a bunch of equipment in his in his bag. They didn't take that, but they did jack him for a cell phone at like 2 p.m. in the afternoon. So, and this is like in the course of a month. So, you know, I don't know. One of our guys lives there regularly and loves it and, you know, swears by Medellin. But, I, you know, I don't know. It was, it was kind of dodgy when we were there. It's funny, you know, because a lot of places in Latin America are like that. I was in El Salvador a few years ago, and at the time, that had the highest murder rate in Latin America. It's a cool place, you know. I mean, San Salvador, the capital, is just a great city. No one goes there, but it's an amazing city. You know, cool bars, good restaurants. You, it's like El Tunco, the beach is like only 30 minutes away. But if you live there, if everyone gets robbed at some point. It's just, and same in Medellin. If you, if you speak to anyone who's been there a while, they, they all get robbed. It's just, just, it's just a part of life, you know. 99% yeah. of the time, it's not going to be violent. 
But um, it's kind of weird. I mean, guys like us are kind of adventurous. I think it depends on, like, my, my wife, she's like, I just don't want to go there, you know. And she's an adventurous person. She's been all around, you know, she's been with me to the Philippines, all around India, Sri Lanka. But Latin America, you know, it's kind of a different level of, uh, of kind of risk, I guess. Yeah, there's no guarantee that you're going to have a problem. In fact, most people don't. I just think that the risk, it's, it's much higher instead of, you know, uh, whatever, a 2% chance, you have an 8% chance or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like the numbers are still low. Like it's much likely. Oh, no, another time we're having brunch and we were reading in, on the news how a chopped up American or chopped up foreigner uh, was found in a suitcase like, you know, a block and a half away from where we were eating brunch one Sunday. So, wow. yeah, just not, not not fantastic. But, I mean, it's not likely that anything really bad is going to happen to you. But, you know, the odds are higher. I think it's also, you know, it's much better than it was years past. Sure. So everyone's, like, complimenting Medellin how how much safer it is today. And, like, relatively it is. But, you know, it's still kind of dodgy. You know, the funny thing is, though, well, like, especially to you as, as an American, like, I remember when I first started going to the U.S. in, in the early 90s when I was a student – Back then, like, U.S. cities were crazy dangerous. Like, you, I went to Detroit and New York, and, like, you just, you know, it, it was, yeah. like, visibly dangerous to go to American cities in those days, in, in certain areas. Yeah, I think it's a, a fair point when some people are like, you know, there are places in the U.S. that make me uncomfortable to go. You know, I totally get that. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's Yahoo culture, Yankee, but the, the Yanks out there doing some crazy stuff too. <laughs> so I, I get that. Cool. Hey, one other quick question just about, because I'm fascinated by your whole remote culture. Like, so... Do you find, I'm very curious, because you're very, obviously, Asia-centric, you, you know, you you live a lot of the time in Asia, a lot of team members. Do you not do you not find the time zones just horrendous in Asia? Because I'm obviously in Prague, and I really like Central Europe, because you can kind of deal with Asia in the morning, deal with the US in the afternoon, and, and I'm going to be in Asia for the, for the fall with my wife, actually. We're going to take the family, we're going to travel around, I'm sure I'll be meeting you. But I just, it seems to me, when you're in Asia, you just, you've got to work at the nights. There's no way around it if you have yeah. to talk to people. It depends on what you're doing, right? So, you know, as a general rule, you need to decide whether you're a night Indian or a morning Indian, right? So you're either going to be staying up late or you're getting up early. I stay up late. Like sometimes I'll do work or calls at 1 p.m., 2 p.m., or 1 a.m., 2 a.m. And my business partner, you know, he's up by 6 a.m. So he's able to do some of that. And then I'm able to cover in the evening. And again, our jobs aren't strictly on the phone. Like we're not strictly like selling deals all day. We're not salespeople. So, you know, if you're in, in, let's say, vetting or some operational positions, sometimes it's okay. You can do it. It's tough for sales where they're regularly talking to buyer, potential buyers and potential sellers about doing deals. I'd say Asia is a pretty rough one. I mean, Europe's easier. Obviously, U.S. is is particularly good. So we've got a bunch of salespeople in Mexico City right now, actually, uh, because the time zone is so much better and just more effective for them. And for, like, work-life balance, it just makes more sense. Um, but, yeah, no, we still got – I mean, even sales guys. We have some salespeople still out in Asia, and they just make it work by, you know, choosing one. You're either a night Indian yeah. or a morning Indian. Pick your poison. That's a good point. Look, so we had a, it was really interesting talking about your remote team and the meetups. I want to just quickly talk about your, your empire retreats because that's kind of, the, I guess, the next level. And I'm keen, I'm, these, these are, and if people look on YouTube, they can see some, it looks very much like a rap video with you guys all hanging out. <laughs> like, like, and I know customers come as well as your team. So what, how did these come about? And did you make money out of them? Would it, would it, would it, would it, would it good for getting your network good? Um, and what, what, how, you know, how did it happen? Yeah, so we were. I was with uh, some of our marketing team. It was uh, Greg, who's our you know uh, marketing director, and Mike Swigunsi, I mentioned earlier. And we were in Vietnam. I remember we were at um, 
some hotel lounge area kind of talking about it. And, you know, we said, wouldn't it be fun? You know, we do some really amazing stuff in terms of like villas we've rented and like having really good times and renting out tables at club, like just really cool stuff, like company wide and even outside the company. Wouldn't it be fun to invite some of our customers or potential customers to kind of like join in that fun? And so that that's kind of the premise, right? That's what we started with. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. And so we said, how can we make this work? And like, you know, could do like a nice mix of business and pleasure. And so we ultimately decided, we'll say, look, we're going to make it a mastermind. We're also going to have some talks and then we're going to have kind of one really cool day event and then we'll have a really wild night. And, you know, we looked around and, 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 uh, we found a villa that was amazing, um, in Phuket, Thailand. And so, you know, it's about 30 minutes out of, uh, uh, Patong beach. It's North of there. I forget the Surin area. I think yeah, anyway, we, we ended up going there and, uh, uh, the first time and, and just had an absolute blast. It was magical. We had like fire, like private fireworks at the villa and it's this huge, like 10 bedroom, had an elevator, had like seven staff supporting us. There's a movie theater room. It was insane. And, uh, since then we've rented like yachts and, you know, we get like a whole section of this club VIP service, the bottle service and everything. It's just like this amazing, you know, three or four nights. And so we had such a good time doing that with, with, partners and some of our team and and uh, customers that we said look let's just do it again and then we did it again and then we did it again we kept the price point reasonable we've actually never made money on that at all in fact every how, single how time we've yeah, lost I'm, I'm curious how did you promote it how did you get people to come did you just put it on your website because is it is it like you built an audience through the podcast and the blog and, and or, or your email list or how, how did you did you get people to come to it yeah, I forget exactly what we charged somewhere around like maybe a thousand early bird or two thousand like later or something like somewhere between a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand, depending on when you buy it or whatever. And uh, and we promoted it um, via our audience. Yeah, so email list, um, I think on our blog, and then told some other some other uh, previous attendees would tell people. So some of them have blogs and audiences too, and then they would kind of like spread the word. And so the first one we had to like push a little harder. I think we sent out an email and then we sent it out again and answer some questions about it. And the second one, not so much. And then like just over time, it just started selling out really quickly. And basically we're asking for money from people. We're like, look, we're really good at bringing together really sharp, smart, uh, uh, talented people and we're really good at throwing parties. Like we're really good at both those things. Just give us your money and trust us to do right. Yeah. <laughs> that's a fact. That's effectively the pitch. Like we're, we're basically going to spend every penny you give us on, on the stuff there. So like everything's included. The meals are all included, not the flights there, but I mean, from like amazing meals to shows to, you know, running the yacht to the crazy party night, like that's the mastermind. Everything's included. Just leave it to us. And people are like, yeah, they, they totally get it and they they get on board. Um, you know, as, as I mentioned, we don't make money out of it, but it definitely, I think, helps our brand. I think it definitely endears us to customers where they just go out and have this amazing experience. They get to this mastermind, which a lot of people have never done before. And so you get these amazing moments. So I'm talking about the party, but the work stuff, like, you know, we sit down in these masterminds where you're getting critiqued by people that re we have requirements. Like you have to really be making money and have a successful business. And so you're getting critiqued by people that have successful businesses, have done well in their space. Um, that you probably haven't heard before. Maybe people are like either, hey, oh, your business is so cool. Wish I could do what you do. But these people are like, no, I already do that. Let's talk about where your business isn't strong enough or where you could really tighten it up. Yeah. And so people are like, whoa, I haven't heard that kind of feedback. We have people that um, have collected email addresses, you know, tens of thousands of emails 
and haven't even started building a relationship yet. Didn't really know what to do. Like what? Like yeah, yeah. so there's just so much opportunity when you talk to other people that have been successful and have some good ideas about what you can do with your business. It's amazing. And so, you know, those are kind of like I I we're, we're having those conversations and I hear one person say that and someone else is just like chomping at the bit to like let let them into like what they know. And so like it brings tears to my eyes. I'm just like you know, like the tingly feeling of just being yeah. excited to see someone like about to have a breakthrough in their business. That's really cool. And are the people who come are they people who would like be wanting to sell a business through you or, or buy a business through you? Or sometimes, sometimes either. Yeah. Sometimes customers, sometimes potential customers. Um, sometimes just kind of like fans of the podcast or, or kind of our content. Sure. It's kind of a mix and mix and match. Um, yeah. I mean, so yeah, we've had. You know, they'll get to talk to people. I mean, we'll generally have at least someone who's bought a business from us and someone who's sold a business from us there. So they'll get to, you know, hear from at least you know one on either side of the fence. Normally a couple. Um, so, you know, people are interested in buying and selling with us. That's great. Not always the case though. Sometimes it's just having smart entrepreneurs that may someday down the road do that. Right. Sure. Or they talk to other people about us, um, and it helps like with our word of mouth. So it's not a hard requirement that you, that you're a customer or even potential customer. Yeah. I mean, with you, I guess it's like anyone's a potential, you know, it's, it's all about long-term relationships because I mean, even like me, for example, I'm not a customer, but yeah. you know, we, I've got a SaaS. Maybe we'll want to sell it down the road, you know. So because I know you, yep. you know, you, you'd be the, probably the first person I'd speak to. So it's, yeah, I guess for you, there's, I mean, there's so many people to network with all the time. Yeah, and you talk to other people. I mean, Prague's a, you know, kind of a hub. So people pass through there and end up talking to you. And you're like, oh, you should check out my buddies at Empire Flippers. They're doing cool stuff. Oh, what do they do? So, I mean, there's there's value in all that, right? Sure. And so just kind of like um, being able to – when you go to like a conference, and we'll get into the conference stuff in a bit. Like when I go to a conference, I want to be in the right rooms, right? Like I want to make sure I'm I'm at the right dinner parties. I want to make sure I'm at the right bar for drinks after. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm talking to the right people there. And these kind of events, uh, both the partying and the, the uh, you know, masterminds, it allows us to like build the room. And so even for us, it's super exciting. They give us really good advice in our business and things we can do. So, you know, it's kind of good all, all the way around. Cool. And, and what's the future for the retreats? Are you, are you going to run more in Paquette or more in different areas? Or are you, are you going to make it like a regular schedule for it? What's your plans for it? You know, as... It's weird because, as I said, we don't make any money out, but we yeah. know it's the right thing to do. But it's probably not the right thing to scale, sure. right? Like it doesn't yeah, make yeah. a lot of sense for us to scale. I mean, we could, we could definitely charge more for it to where like we turn a profit or like we're at least above break even. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's not really that's not really a core in our business. And even if we did, even if we you know, tripled our take on that, and we did eight of those a year. It wouldn't move the needle as much as just doing more deals would. And the resources yeah. that would be required to go into it are just more than we're willing to give. Like it's not – it's fun to do and it's the right thing to do. That's more of a, a, a nice to have than a, than a must have. But it feels right and we'll continue doing it. We're just not going to – we're not planning to scale it up. Cool. That's very interesting. So yeah, on to conferences. You, you, meant, you mentioned it just before. Um, now, you're very active in, in sponsoring conferences and, and being involved we're both members of of dynamite circle and entrepreneurs group and i know you've done a deal with those guys to kind of sponsor all their events and, and you're involved in other conferences so so how, how did that start and and you know what, what was the first event you got involved in, in in sponsoring yeah so last year in 2018 i think we we were involved in around 20 conferences or so um, and that means either 
we were sponsoring, uh, we were sponsoring and speaking, or we were speaking. Uh, a couple of them, I think, we just attended, but that's kind of uh, out of the norm. It was, it was either sponsoring, speaking, or some mixture between the two. Um, and we'd done, I think, 10 the year before that and found some value. So it was really good for like being brand ambassadors of the company and kind of getting our name out there and connecting with people in our space. And, you know, we found it to be helpful. It's really hard for us to judge ROI on that. Yeah. And we could talk about that and um, get into that a bit. Um, I'll, I'll say in general for your listeners that either um, are running a conference now or thinking about running a conference or events. Um, I, I mean, I, I think I have a lot to say from a sponsor's perspective yeah, and kind of like what really we expect. It. Yeah. So like some of the things that, and, and, and here's the thing, right? We're not always on the same page with the people that are running the events, right? So from my perspective, like if I can at all buy stage time, that's completely worth it to me, right? Generally, like depends on the price, whatever, but like, I want to get some stage time for sure. Um, so if we can get on the stage and, and not, we don't do hard pitches either. Like that's not our general approach to be a soft pitch either. Um, like doing a case study on someone who, you know, sold a business with us or bought a business with us. But you know, if we can get on stage telling our message, that's great. If we can get uh, referrals from the people running the conference, that's great. We want to pay for that. Yep. Booths are okay. We definitely want to give out swag. We typically want our swag to be better or more useful than the other people that are bringing swag there. Um, we definitely want to throw a party for any uh, Empire Flippers fans, customers, and friends. So, you know, we'll generally send out a message or get the word out that we're meeting up there and uh, and get them together. We'll also pair them up with some um, influencers. So if there are some speakers we can get together and match them up with some customers, we'll typically do that. And we'll do what we call steak dinner. And it doesn't have to be steak, but like yeah. <laughs> for our vegan friends out there. But we'll, we'll basically do a steak dinner where we get influencers, you know, speakers of the conference together with fans and, and customers of ours and pay for a dinner to get everyone together. And we found that to be super valuable as well. Um, so yeah, in terms of things we look for when sponsoring, I mean, uh, obviously we're looking for deals. We're looking for, you know, longer term kind of partner and value. Uh, we want mentions as best we can. Um, if we don't sponsor, we'll generally throw the, our own party and we'll kind of get people together as, as I just mentioned. Yeah, it's interesting. Like um, the stage time thing from like from the other side, from some from me who organizes a lot of conferences, it's it's really you know you've got to be so careful with sponsors. Yeah, because no, see, like, yeah, that, that's out. I, I know what you're gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> like this is the this is the we're not on the same page part. For no, sure. no, no. You're right. Because here's the thing, right? I don't mind sponsors speaking at an event and running a session or even speaking on the main stage, but like they have to. If, if they're going to do a sales pitch, it's, it, I mean, people like it's happened and people always complain and it's like, it's, yes. but so if the sponsor like, as, if as a, coach as, them properly to make a cool, interesting session, no problem. You know, that, that, but that's a trick and it's tough. But some people just can't stop selling. They just can't stop themselves. You know? <laughs> yes. So that this is, so that's, I mean, as a sponsor and if anyone's listening to this and wants a sponsor, I mean, I'd say that's a good win. Get mentioned, um, get anecdotal stories from yep. stage, from the people that are running it and get a chance to speak, uh, yourself or have your team speak from stage, uh, is ideal, right? So now flipping hats really quick, talking to the people that are running the events, I would recommend that you don't let sponsors speak unless you get a chance to look at the content beforehand and like kind of approve yes. it and make sure they're going to talk about something that's cool. Um, don't do it. 
Um, and, and there's some value, I think, too, in saying that you can't buy your way to the stage, right? I mean, yeah. some, look, I mean, some people run conferences where it's pay to play, right? And yeah, they exactly. pay and they get to do an hour long sales pitch. And it is what it is. And if you're running that kind of conference, you know, it is what it is. That's your that's your gig. That's your that's how you make the money. Um, but if you're trying to do one that doesn't have that or doesn't have that feel, then be pretty careful about the sponsors you have speaking. And if you do allow them to pay and have a speaking spot, then just make sure you get a chance to review the content before they go. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. I think the other point you mentioned earlier about, you know, you've got to be, if you're going to go to a conference, you've got to be in the right room, the right parties, you know, the dinner. I think, you know, if, if you sponsor, you know, you can, you kind of buy access to a lot of that, you know, like if say dynamite circle, there's a sponsor's dinner, there's a few things where you can get to meet people, you know, I think it definitely, I think the organizers have to make sure that they look after the sponsors and get and make sure they get to meet people. You know, they, they, yeah, the organizer what, has to facilitate that. So I, as a sponsor also, particularly if I'm going and this is me being me or whatever, but like I want a seat at the table. So I want to be able to, I want a dinner with the speakers. Like I want to be yeah. in those rooms, the good rooms, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely sponsors dinner or sponsors meet up. Also, I definitely want the dinner or whatever, meet up with the, the speakers. Um, I think that's a good room for me to be in. And so I definitely want that included. Um, I would say that uh, one of the things that the Dynamite Circle does right, they do this, it's great for DC Bangkok, is they bring their sponsors together for a brief meeting. You get to meet the other sponsors, kind of yeah, nice. Yeah. But they go around the room and they ask, like, what point do you want, like, represented? Like, what are you looking to get out of this? And, like, what's your message? And so then they'll make sure that, that theme plays through throughout the conference. So when they mention you or when something goes up about you, like, you know, for us, maybe it's the valuation tool or, you know, here's how, how much your site's worth or it's it's a new promotional thing we're doing or whatever. And they'll make sure that message gets out. So that's that's really cool. It makes your sponsors feel special yeah. and allows you to, like, get a particular a specific message across that you're looking to get across. And it's coming from them and not you which is even more valuable. One of the things I'll tell you that we're always weighing on whether we're going to sponsor a conference or not is the question of, is it worth sponsoring or is it worth just throwing our party? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if we get our customers and, and fans together with the speakers or influencers, we already know there, like, like, you know, that may cost us thousand bucks or 1500 bucks, depending on the dinner and who we get together and what it costs. Um, is that better than, you know, the, the sponsorship? And if it is, then we'll do that. Sometimes we do both. Actually, uh, one of the best ones we did, it was at a, it was in Bangkok at an event, and we, um, we got some influencers together, people that we knew had big audiences, large companies, people we have connected with before or wanted to connect with, and we told them, look, you know, we're gonna take care of you this night. You know, they, they knew of us or whatever. We didn't know each other all very well. We said, you know, you know, wear some pants, <laughs> meet down here in the lobby at seven. We're gonna take you out. We're gonna have an excellent time. And so we met up with them, had a drink at the bar. And then had a stretch limo show up in Bangkok. So we piled everyone into this like stretch limo and we went to a steak dinner. And then we went and got cigars and scotch at a lounge after and then had bottle service at a, a club that was reserved for us. And like that was an insane night. Yeah. And, you know, the total cost was like maybe three grand or something. But we had like pretty strong influence. I mean, we had um, who did we have there? Uh, we had. Greg from Jungle Scout. We had Taylor Pearson. We had Dan and Ian from the Dynamite Circle. Yeah. We had Tung Tran there. We had Jacob Poole from uh, Firebrand. Like we had just like really interesting and cool people in the at the. Oh, we had um, Travis Jameson was there. So just a really good crowd. We were able to pull together. So yeah, an easy an easy spend of three grand. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And, and you know you've got to like 
I think a lot of people are scared to spend that kind of money, you know, but I guess, well, you know, it's not for everyone, you know, if you're starting out, you shouldn't be doing this, but you know, at a certain point, you know, you, you can be too stingy and, and, and it holds you back, I think. No, there's a, that, that happened to be three grand, but like there are times where it's worth you, you know, dressing up and taking someone to a $200 dinner. Yeah. Right. And you're like, Oh my God, am I really going to get a return on that? And it's like, you're hard pressed to, to know whether it's going to make sense. Here's a good example. And well, I don't know if it's the best example. It's an example. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of the, the movie Schindler's list, right? I think it's a really amazing movie, really well done in the beginning. And you know, I, the guy's a jerk at the beginning, but Oscar Schindler does a thing where he spends like his last few dollars to go to this party. It's like a Nazi party or whatever, but they're like all there kind of drinking champagne and whatever. He dresses really nice, brings like a bunch of girls with them, does this whole thing, like gets everyone's attention and gets a bunch of contracts from doing that. And I think there's, I don't know, there's a way to do that. That's, um, that works. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I guess the other God, I just, I just compare like what we do to like getting Nazi contracts in world war two. Um, <laughs> that's great though. I didn't, you didn't even bat an eyelid. It's like, it was cool. <laughs> we did <laughs> it. was cool. Everything else terrible, but like that's, you know, it's, cool. <laughs> it's a good analogy. But what, um, the other thing I, I think <clears throat> there's always a balance from an organizer's point of view about having too many sponsors. Cause that's the thing that always annoys people you've got to like you know you've got to have relevant sponsors and you've got to have the right number you know i think some, if there's too many and you've got like an exhibition it de depends on the type of event but like if, if you're saying a regular conference with say 100 to 200 people i typically wouldn't have more than five or six sponsors you know In, because i don't yeah, know I what, how, how you think I think that makes sense. I think having different levels makes sense. I think price anchoring might be a good idea if you're running a conference. So like having and, and you 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 know this much better than I do, but you know, having like a higher price, like maybe um slightly more out of reach kind of uh sponsorship and then having like the next yeah, level, the next definitely, level. Definitely. Um and, and keep in mind there are like there are some conferences where it'd be worth it would be worth us paying a lot of money because it is like absolutely the type of customer that we want to reach. Let's just say, for example, it was a conference and it has, it was a bunch of entrepreneurs that are within 12 to 18 months of potentially selling their six or seven or eight figure business. Like, and they had 300 people there. I want to pay a lot of money to be in that room. Like I want to pay a lot of money to be sponsoring that. Like that's exactly yeah. our customer base. Yeah. Whereas other things like, uh, uh, nomad, uh, uh, Johnny's, uh, group, like they are kind of like a lot of times earlier stage digital nomads working on entrepreneurship. There's a handful of people in there that we could do business with, like probably in the next six to 12 months, but a lot of them are like potential future customers. So sure. he's like planting the seeds. Like that's like early stage playing the seed stuff. And for us, it's just a brandable moment to talk about, look, as you build these businesses, they are sellable. There are people that want to buy them. Here, here's like how it works. You know, so if or when you're looking to sell your business or if you want to buy your way into it, this is like a, this is an option for you. Sure. And so it's more like I'm not willing to pay as much for that audience as I would the ones that want to sell in 12 to 18 months, if that makes sense. Definitely, definitely. Is there any example, you don't have to name, don't need to name any names, but any examples where like an event you've sponsored has just been a disaster and you wouldn't want to go back and anything particularly bad that you can think of? Yeah, there was one in, oh, I'll name names, man. Let's <laughs> no get problem, into this. Cool. Even better. I'll name names. It was a group out of Hanoi and I don't know the conference. We can look it up later. It was, the, it was 2018 and they had uh, Gary V was there and then, um, they must have had a big budget. Then, yeah. It was, it was big budget. Uh, what's his, blog uh, neil patel neil patel and yeah. gary v were going to be there and someone else too uh 
uh, Jay Abram or something. I, I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. Anyway, they they like were pimping these top names people. And we just sent a couple of people because they happened to be in Southeast Asia and it was relatively easy for us to go. It wasn't on our list, but we sent people. And it was just an absolute shit show. And like a bunch of people, uh, so like Jay Abrams didn't show up and like it was totally disorganized and just an absolute mess and a nightmare of an event. <laughs> and so like we, it was not terribly valuable for us, but it was interesting to see, you know, what kind of – and it was like a total pitch fest too apparently. And that just yeah. – it wasn't great as well. Funny enough, there was another one um, that my business partner went to in Manila. And again, this one wasn't one we targeted, but he happened to be in Manila. So we just flew one of our guys to Manila to go with Joe. And funny enough, it was another Gary Vee event. <laughs> but <laughs> Gary Vee was going to be a speaker and it was in Manila – and like just no one there was potential customers. They all kind of like worked for other BPOs or for other entrepreneurs. Yeah. And it just was absolutely no value to us and kind of really poorly run. It's a lot of these uh, multi-event conference companies like Marcus Evans and people like this. And they kind of like, it's, it's different to someone who runs an event in their niche because they know it really well. It's, they just, they just, they, they figure out what's, like what's is there no conference about telecoms infrastructure in manila and then they they do it and then they get speakers and they and they sell it and, and the problem is the salespeople will just do anything they can to get people there and, and and often sponsors and attendees get there and find out it's not exactly what you know they, they, they wanted yeah there's someone you should talk to her name's stephanie um and she started like a, a crypto a conference and she ended up getting like aqua hired by another company. Are you, are you familiar with her? No, I'm not, but I definitely want to do some crypto stuff, so I'd love to talk to her. Definitely. Yeah, let me yeah. yeah, let me have you talk to her. So she started this conference. It was kind of outside of anything she knew about, but she knew that like a crypto conference in Chiang Mai would probably go over well. That's cool, yeah. And so she wasn't big on crypto herself, but she saw like, the, it was a couple of years ago, and her and her friend started it, and they got some people there. And I think before they even did their second event, she ended up getting acquired by this other company. Wow. Um, but I, I met her here in Vietnam. Her and her boyfriend were passing through, and and we ended up talking about. It. I was like, "Oh, you'd be a great guest for the podcast." Just kind of an interesting. We even talked about aquahires before on our show. I thought that'd be interesting. But for you, I think it'd be particularly interesting how she just whipped together a conference that she knew would have some value, and within two years, she was acquired. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I interviewed a guy, Steve Mayfield. It might be interesting for you, and he runs a, like a business broker, but for events. Uh, and he, huh. as far as as a uh, really interesting guy. But as far as like what he says is that the events that sell are basically trade shows. And I'm not sure if that's because that's his area or that's what the truth is. But he said it's quite kind of hard to sell a conference. I mean, obviously, an aqua hire is, is a bit different. But he said, if you, you know, these big trade shows, like, you know, the ones they hold, like for, for people yeah. buying products in China, or whatever. These ones, you know, people sell them because what happens is you run the trade show and you immediately start selling booths for, for the next year. So you, you get paid often a year in advance, you know, so it's got really good recurring revenue and these always change hands apparently these trade shows get sold all the time yeah it, it's funny there's one that um that is super expensive to to sponsor in our niche affiliate world they do one in asia and europe and they have these like somewhat elaborate booths but it's kind of like a mixture of trade show and conference and you know they've got all the booths and tables and stuff outside and they're outrageously expensive we're like who like we weren't going to do it it wasn't worth it to, for us like it's just hard for us to justify it yeah. And then we're looking, who is there? And it's all these affiliate networks. And they're making, like, sick margins and, and lots of money. And so it's easy for them to – and sometimes they're VC-backed, and so they have to spend the money. And yeah. and so I think if you're – it's funny. My point there is that if you're going to be throwing a conference or a trade show or some mixture of the two, um, looking for sponsors that 
um, need to spend money. So they've already raised money and like they're like they have like forced growth on them because of their their VC money, their VC backs. So they have to grow quickly. Yep. And so they need to burn money. They have to have a burn rate that matches their raise. Yeah. And so those people have an amount of cash that would be, I think, helpful for you and might end up buying packages without necessarily even thinking about the ROI, just hoping that they get some growth out of it. Definitely. Look, Justin, I know you've got to go. That's been a ton of useful information, I think, for all kinds of entrepreneurs and people running events. So I want to thanks, thank you for speaking. And uh, yeah, really, really good chat. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. Do you want to sell more tickets to your amazing events? EventsFrame Event Ticketing has been built to minimize the amount of time it takes to buy a ticket. Result? You sell more tickets. Check out eventsframe.com 